They say it's lonely at the top And whatever you do You always gotta watch Motherfuckers around you Nobody's invincible No plan is foolproof We all must meet our moment of truth The same shots okay. Wow Just in time for Thanksgiving We lose two beloved characters Be thankful for that Bitches Nobody's thankful for that. I mean, we we have known for quite a while that Trenton and Mobley were probably not long for this world. And I wasn't surprised at that they died. Uh, and there was a lot of things I loved about this episode because I think they gave, the show gave them an amazing send-off, right? Yeah, it, it, it did. They got some comedy in. Um, they got to interact with Joey Badass. I think the three of them on screen together was really fun. Part of me's torn though. It's pretty horrific though, the way they I kinda it's kinda like do you know like when you find out something and you'd rather not know? But yeah. you already know, but you know now you know how it happens and you're yeah. like, uh, I was I was fine not knowing the details. I think it would have driven me more crazy for Trenton and Mobley to have died off screen though. As horrific and as racist, <laughs> and, you know, and White Rose is trying to start some shit with Iran. I know. Right? What's up with that? And But poor, I mean, like, Mobley wouldn't have heard a fly. He was kind of skeezy in some kind of way. Or trying. I don't know. I like Mobley. And then poor Trenton. Genius level IQ, and they're going to pin this shit. This is going to kill her father. It's going to kill her parents. It's going to kill her whole family. Yeah. They're just, oh my God. Okay. So this episode was written by Adam Penn, uh, Frederick and Tanya. Um, I love the way he wrote this episode, and I, I, there was just so much good shit. Adam Penn obviously knows his comedy. He gave Mobley some hilarious lines when he's panicking in, in the car about the Sam Kinison line, the Christian Bale line, the, you know, Shelley Duvall in the Overlook Hotel. He writes Joey Badass like nobody's business. Um, I loved Joey's, you know, his... They always give Joey this kind of Shakespearean street view of uh, pop culture. So I loved how we continued on with that. Um, this was also... I want to mention the editor. Uh, we, we don't really normally shout out to the editor. We should every episode because editing is, you know, the soul of these kinds of projects or any project, really, is John Pettia. Pedija, John. Okay, John. I don't know how to say your last name, but um, Pedija, Pedija, maybe. But he like edited the fucking shit out of this, and it was awesome. Um, especially toward that race at the end. But I like how we kept this thing together. Uh, also, you know, of course, directed by Sam Ismail. Um, one thing I want to say about Adam Penn before we move on is that he introduced Joey Badass's music to Ismail in season one. So Ismail started listening to Joey Badass, and he liked him so much, he wanted to cast him in uh, the series because he found out they had an acting background. So, he, he did have yeah, an acting so, background? So we have Joey Badass on the show because of Adam Penn listening to the music. So Adam Penn, shout out to Adam Penn. He rocketh. So we got the return of Leon. We've been waiting for him since he showed up at the end of season two post credits and said, do you have the time at the Fry's in Arizona, even though we know we're in New Mexico. It's very obviously we're in Breaking Bad's, you know, backyard. Um, and we think, I think it was originally written that Leon was going to roll up and be the ones to force um, Trenton and Mobley to kill themselves. And there was heated debates in the writer's room that this would cause people to super fucking hate Leon, and we didn't need that to happen. So they they kind of flipped the script and made it where he was their babysitter, and he was just there to do a job. And then they could give Leon more of this kind of lighthearted babysitting gig to be their chaperone or whatnot. Well, I like that decision. I do too. I think it worked out. I would have really super hated that. Leon would be causing them to blow their brains out. I mean, he probably could have talked them into it. He's very persuasive. I mean, the dude is not even rolling around with the gun that we know of. He's got that kind of small, super sharp knife. I guess the same Nazi killing knife that he had. That shanking knife? Yeah, he killed like those six neo-Nazis in the, I would assume would be the shower. I felt like that fake location, that alley was either the corner of the yard or the shower. Anyway... I like uh, I like uh, how they 
they ended up with this. So he ends up like taking them out to the desert. And obviously Irving's provided this car for him. Um, the world's best, greatest grandpa, world, they, world's sexiest grandpa. They cut to that, um, that keychain uh-huh. several times. Every time that car was started. World's sexiest grandpa. Yeah. That was funny. So maybe it's Irving's personal car. I don't know. I loved it. I it's loved one the of his caddy. That he yeah, has. it's one of his because that's one of his you know one of his bullshit phrases. But so they drive out to the desert because you know he's got to bring everybody with him so they can bury Mobley's roommate that he's sliced his throat. That poor guy. That's what you get for like peeking on for walking in on uh, Trenton. Yeah, you get your throat sliced. There was also a quick little shot. We'll talk about it later about the snake in the tank. I'll, I'll come back to what I think that might have been. I might be reading into things uh, every week, but I don't know. So he, he takes them with him, and they're out. he's out there digging a hole. And, of course, we know that Trenton is good at lock picking, and she gets out of her bike lock pretty quickly while she's having this great conversation with Mobley about, you know, he's whining about missing his J-date. And she's like, you're not even Jewish. And he's like, what, he's like a quarter Eskenazi or somebody, whatever it is. And then I have you know that Juanita is, you know, a Rosenberg so he's missing out on his J-Date at, at Ruby Tuesdays, and she's like, my brother's going to be like really upset. He's probably flipping out right now. And that's when Mobley goes into this wonderful, if your brother's flipping out, you know, I'm going to be, I'm like Sam, uh, Sam Kinnison stand-up. I'm Shelley Duvall in The Overlook. I'm, you know, the, you know, mic'd up. Hot Mike. Hot Mike Christian, Christian Bale went on his rant from years ago. So very well done. And what I love it is Sunita Mani gets in the car and tries to make a getaway. She's never learned how to drive. And, of course, Joey's just sort of like digging the hole, looking up like, what the fuck, yo? You see him just sort of lean back on the... the uh, uh, Not even really worried. And he's like, okay, how is what, what's going to happen just here? Just curious. <laughs> and, of course, she just, you know, zigzags right into a fucking boulder. I wonder what would have happened if they had gotten away. I just I I think there was absolutely no way for them to get away. I don't know. I think maybe he saw. I don't. You would have. You would have thought that he that he already had the intel on them. Maybe. So he knows she can't drive. I don't know. So with her just behind the wheel, he's like, okay. I don't know if I want to see what's going to happen. I don't know if I want to give him even those superpowers. I mean, I think he just would have like trudged into town and would have been able to round them up because. As badass hackers as they are, they're not really good outlaws because he literally just arrived right at their door, you know, in Arizona. It wasn't like a big, they're not covering their trails very well. So I think it would have been like, I mean, I'd love to believe that, you know, Leon is that, you know, perceptive, but I think he's just Mobley's like. has got that spidey sense, but does nothing about it, really. Exactly, exactly. Even, and he's been paranoid. His par- yeah. He has been paranoid for a reason, by the way, all along. He even said in the back seat, if he doesn't kill us, someone's, gonna- someone's going to kill us. You know, everybody keeps telling him it's going to be fine, and he's been saying, no, it's not going to be fine. When he was sitting there, like, trying to bail when they were at uh, the lawyer's house, after, you know, they, you know, Darlene kills the lawyer. Uh, Susan Jacobs. Susan Jacobs. You know, he's like already given that look like, we're fucked, man. This was fun and games, and now this is like dark as shit, and what are we doing? So he's been trying to bail for a long time. Um, what I love about, we know that Leon's been on a 90s sitcom kick since he's been in prison. That was what was available in the library. And he shared a lot of his thoughts on Seinfeld. And then he moved on to Frasier, and he gets really frustrated. He's like, how is this bald dude from Seattle smashing this much, you know? And he's not even going after hood rats, you know? He just, it really put him off. He was like, I just don't, don't get it. So he needed a, a palate cleanser, so he, he started watching Knight Rider. And he's all about Knight Rider. That is what I, I just love, this whole discourse. That was so fun. On Knight Rider. Yeah. And that he's just, he said, I, you know... This guy, when he spits like game at girls, like I, I believe every goddamn word. While they're watching the seventy-one facilities on television, he's obsessed with this. But I love this line that they give him that he's not completely checked out. I don't think Leon's insane at all. I think Leon is like he's the most kind of well-rounded person, even though he's a fucking serial killer and an assassin. He's an assassin, yeah. Yeah, he's an assassin. He's not a serial killer, but he's a, you know he's just sitting there and he's like, and you know. 
Knight Rider deserves a statue. It predicted the societal dependence on technology, and that was over 30 years yeah. ago. Uh, he's just, he's truly appalled at the lack of respect for Knight Rider. And you know what? After his discourse, Adam Penn's discourse via Joey Badass as Leon, I'm going to have to go back and check out Knight Rider and watch it through this filter, you know? But I do agree with Leon uh, about the Frasers. I never got it. Um, didn't hate the show, but I just didn't get the... Does Kelsey Grammer? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that whole time when he's talking about Knight Rider, you just like automatically have that thing going in your head. And I was watching it going, how are they going to drop in that, that intro to, to, the, to the show? And then they're driving and they, along. And they dropped that in. It was awesome. When he's driving, in my head right now, yeah. when we heard like the Knight Rider theme, we both kind of... I think we both cheered. We both cheered. Because it's your jam. You had this as your ringtone. I think it's still your ringtone, isn't it's it? It's my alarm. It's your alarm. It's and my he, every time alarm. like you have like a gig and you had to get up at four o'clock in the morning, I hear this theme. So I was sitting here watching my favorite show with you, hearing the Night Rider theme going, oh, I love this moment. Even though I know we're driving out to the desert to uh bury something. Yeah. Either three people are one. Um and so he's digging the hole and they're they're talking about this whole thing and so after their getaway, I guess, now they're on grave digging duty, and Joey's sitting over there on the uh, the, the smashed up caddy. And this conversation is between Mobley and Trenton about, you know, like, she's she's looking at the dimensions of the whole, like, this is for one person. You know, I don't think. And even though, you know, Leon has said early on, he goes, you guys need to relax when Mobley's freaking out, because he's like, you know, we have skills, we're ta- we have talents, we can help you, you can use us. He's like, relax, dude. If I was going to kill you, I would have already done it. So they're sitting here talking about the dimensions of the thing, and and she's saying maybe they're here to recruit us. And he's like, well, they could have just asked. And you hear Leon going, you know, I can hear you too, even from all the way over here. And Mobley like, is trying to make some kind of stand in his – they're both in their fries uniforms from work. <laughs> he's like, you need to tell us what's going on or we're going to stop digging. And he's like, you know – I like you too. Kind of funny. Kind of funny in a, in a George Elaine kind of way. But I got a job to do. And I don't think you want to try me though. You don't know when you don't want to know where this knife has been. <laughs> Especially up some Nazi dude's butt. So that calms everybody down. But they get back to the house. Um and we see that Dark Army is already there. And he's like, you know, these, these worm-catching motherfuckers, you know, these guys got here sooner than I thought. And we have this kind of, it's almost like this moment where Mobley and Trenton have realized that Leon is probably the better choices of the two when you see Dark Army in the background. And she's like, you're going to leave us with this? And he's like, you know what? I like you guys. I hope it works out well for you. I'm crossing my fingers that he's going to treat you guys right. Ugh. But as soon as we know that it's Grant, White Rose's lover assistant, he never really shows up unless there's um, evil. Like, if you're sending him, like, you're not sending Irving. Irving is there to, like, be a fixer. When Grant shows up, I feel like you don't pull out this kind of cannon unless shit is going to get really bad. So when I saw Grant, my heart felt, I'm like, and then he said, step into the garage. I didn't know what it was, but I was like, oh, this is not going to be awesome. Well, see, yeah, I know. I mean, I kind of, I like, because we know where, what happened and we know sure. how it transpired and right. the actual explanation of it. I had this feeling like, oh, maybe they're going to use them just. Oh, well, they're definitely going to use them. You know who? I'm going to play Sophie's Choice here. I mean, I love Mobley. Um, I love Azar Khan as Mowgli. Don't get me wrong. I love you, Azar. But I was really hoping they would spare Trenton. <laughs> I love Sunita. I love them both. But like, yeah. And they kind of work better as a buddy team. But like Sunita, I was like so attached to her. And oh, it was terrible. Yeah. So when we go in and when they start reading off like the what's on the terminals, I knew. I was like, oh, they're going to. They're going to make him do something. I don't know how they're going to do this, but they're dead now. When they started nervously reading off, like, uh, that this was a setup for, um, you know, air traffic control maps and malware to make things dysfunction. This is going to be an attack on all the major airports in the United States, it looked like to me. And then they started going into that 
pleading, bargaining thing with Grant, like, hey, man, no, you can use us. You know, we'll we'll totally do evil shit for the Dark Army. I mean, I don't know how that would have worked out, but, um, you know, now you're in this place, and you're looking at the setup of the room, and it looks like a place where you had been hunkered down. They've They've even taken care to put in, like, water and... We didn't see the other side of the wall. We didn't see the Iranian flag. We didn't see the prayer rug. We didn't see the F Society mask or the the camcorder or the huge flag on the wall. We didn't see those things until the raid. But hats off to, again, uh, the editing of this show. is If you look at – I mean, I remember catching it even the first watch. I'm like, these are not the same times of day. And my heart really, truly – I'm like, they did because – when Grant, lover assistant, is talking to Trenton and Mobley with the Dark Army dudes around them, you know, he's talking about sacrifice mm-hmm. and what and why they kill themselves. And it's no greater gift to the cause than to kill yourself. You know, that's what the Lord God on high white rose wants. And um, and you're like, holy shit. But it's afternoon. And he's having this conversation. And they know they need time to put that, you know, that bolo's got to happen, yeah. right? Someone is going to pinpoint, you know, they're, they're casting out that net of someone has seen Tanya and Frederick. And, of course, one of their co-workers is sitting there having lunch with his brother um, at the Mexican restaurant in Arizona. And he goes, I work with those guys. It's Frederick and Tanya. So they throw that kind of scene in there. And then we start cutting between all these scenes where you, you see the raid, the FBI SWAT raid, which is nighttime. And you're in the war room with Santiago and Dom and Norm and those guys, and you're just thinking, just for a second, although you know how dark the show is, you know, what do they do? Yeah. I mean... I mean, uh, I needed to see Trenton on the floor and Mobley on the floor. I had to see it, but yeah, it still it, broke my fucking heart. Yeah, it puts, it puts all that... To rest and the way they were used and well and then here's here's some clever thing that Ismail did from the very beginning because Trenton and Mobley went by these nicknames we never know their real names until two things happen first lover assistant Grant calls them by their last names Mr. Marquesh and uh, Miss Biswas. But later when we see on Dom's whiteboard that um, Mobley's name is Sunil Markesh and um, Trenton's name is Shama Biswas, those are pretty uh, – and she's literally from Iran. Her family's from Iran, uh, even though she was born here. So, And I don't know where um, Markesh is from, where Mobley is from, but obviously it doesn't matter. We're just going to pin these on these two brown people. Yeah. And I was like, I think – that has been hidden all along. I think, you know, obviously this was a screenplay and, and that was part of that plan is to pin this on Trent and Mobley. But man, oh man. Shit. Yeah, which, you know, we didn't expect at least that to be pinned onto them until we saw that that thing come up on the television. Yeah. And we were just like, what? Yeah, and, you know, here's Trenton wearing her hijab. You know, here's this bearded-looking brown dude. But that hijab is going to be... Of course, F Society is those people. Of course, you know, they're intelligent, super achievers, you know, high IQ hackers who are from Iran. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So Frank Cody, uh, you know, White Rose says, you know, go make it so. And he's like, well, that'll be brown enough. It's just and so. It's, just, it's like just the level of detail way back in like s- several episodes. Yeah. You're starting, we're starting to see, and you had said this before, it's like, we're going to start seeing everything played out, explained. Yeah, this is not like this show is being thrown on a network and people trying to figure it out at the last minute. I mean, there's been a, a blueprint. And then a lot of people are like, the show's jumped the shark, or I don't like where it's going. I'm sorry. I just, if you're going to hate on this so much, please, please go watch something else. I think the show is uh, really fucking awesome. Let's get into the Elliot part of the show. Kind of doing this by characters this week, if you've noticed. Um, Elliot, you know, he sees what he hath wrought by being such a good E Corp employee when he was trying to be the good one. He had all those uh, 71 facilities do their uh, backup locally, and that caused him to be even more compromised. He makes the attack 100% worse. Um, 
and he runs to Krista. He goes to Gloria Rubin, um, and he's very distraught, and he can't, he keeps saying, I don't know if I can say it, I don't know if I can say it. Like, he's so fucked up over the fact that now this is thousands dead. So this, this has superseded the 9-11 attack in this world. You know, thousands of dead could climb upwards to 6,000, you know, so... He goes to her, and I thought he was going to her because, you know, he has no one to go to. Maybe he can't find Darlene. I don't know. But I thought, why didn't he go to Darlene? Why didn't he run to the person that he really trusts the most? He's, he's closest to her right now because they've kind of bridged a gap, even though he knows she's working with the FBI. They seem to be good. And I was wondering about that scene. And, of course, Cora Donna has been talking to the Hollywood Reporter after every show, and he's giving us a lot of information. So I do, I do use that as a resource. Why not go to the people who are creating the fucking show so you're not sitting around playing grab ass and, like, trying to figure out what's going on? And what he says is that um, Elliot runs to Krista because, you know, she is, at this point, Elliot and Robot's mediator, Right. Um, they are not speaking to each other, as we know. Sometimes I write notes to each other on notepads in the middle of, like, big uh, capers. But Elliot is delivering Robot to her to find out more information, you know. So maybe she can give that back to Elliot because he can't seem to hear Robot unless they write notes to each other. So I found this to be interesting because he... When he switches over to Robot, he is annoyed that Elliot has run to Krista. And I found this interesting, this whole thing with her. It's, it's like he's not upset about thousands being dead. He's really worried about getting his credit and getting his due and having his revolution hijacked. That's what he's most annoyed about was this was supposed to be his Robin Hood moment to give control back to the little guy instead of these motherfuckers have over have hijacked it. And Krista, who's trying to play catch up, who I think does it pretty well, is like you're a supporter of not only you know, five nine and he's like, Look, it's not me that Elliot's gotta worry about. It's the others, it's the real string pullers and this is interesting. He goes, you know what? You want to know what's really going on? Look around, sweetheart. I'm not the only one under their thumb. They're manipulating everything, always, just to line their pockets to have the total control. But that's the conspiracy man. And he kind of leans back on the couch like, man, damn it. So Elliot, No one's going to believe it. Yeah, Elliot's over here losing his fucking shit because he is caused by his own hand, in part, to kill thousands of people. Rather than just a hundred some odd whatever it would have been over at the downtown recovery building, and robots over here worry about credit, and you know, so he essentially confesses to the five nine hack, and that they're trying to pin this stage two on him, and he's telling her like it was just supposed to be one location, and they were going to centralize the records there, and then they took it over, and. She is sitting here looking at him like, first she says, um, this sounds like delusions of grandeur, you know, because they had the guy, they caught Wellick, and he's like, are you kidding me? This motherfucker works for me. And then this is very telling. I'm not going to quote a bunch of stuff in this, uh, in this episode, but, but you and the rest of the world are never going to know, know that. Because he's like, he was working for me. Because you keep happily lapping up those sugar-coated pearls of semen that keep pouring down your throats. You're buying the narrative that they've been pushing for months, pigs at a trough. We'll get to Elliot's graphic language in a second. Um, and she still is kind of like thinking, just off her look, he says, you know, you don't believe me? Do the math. Elliot worked at Allsafe. Ground zero for five nine. He was also arrested for hacking. He even hacked you, didn't he? And he's completely out of his mind. You add all that up. You still want to doubt me? So again, there's a part of Elliot that is just pure ego and pure swagger. There's this side to Elliot. It's not just dark. It's something that I'm so fascinated with because he he like. He is almost the di diametrically oppo opposite of Elliot. He's like hitting on her, calling her beautiful. 
He's sexist. He's talking graphically just as much as Samar is. Everything's to be like this really hardcore, like the semen thing and the whole, he's just, there's a whole side to Elliot that is just pent up. And it's kind of like that, that, that price type of arrogance of I want to be the most powerful it does. man in the room. It smacks of Philip Price. You know? It really does. It's like, you know, and then Elliot is so desperate to try to control him, and he's just like this meek, anonymous, sweet, worries about, like, Shayla, worries about the underdog, worries about, you know, people. Like, he, he rescues Flipper, for fuck's sake. And then the person that he runs to, that he's been able to confide in, he gets in her face in this very vicious way. But I also think Elliot is crying out for help, saying to her, please rescue me from myself. I mean, that's a huge part of this, right? But what he has just said rattles the shit out of her. And I was surprised by this. <laughs> she believes Elliot, finally. And she calls her attorney and... She is like, I think this guy did it. Because by now I know him, right? And she's wanting to call the authorities and her lawyer, thank God, says, I don't think you should do that. You know, every nut job is out there confessing and, and then you'll lose your license. You're going to lose your career. And she's like, fuck. Also, don't you reckon that the Dark Army would show up and like, yeah, I think they're keeping tabs on her because they know they know he showed up. They know everything about there. Elliot. They know they know everything. They know where everybody is. So once again, putting people in danger. Yeah, we never said Elliot was, you know, a perfect hero. He's a pretty fucked up, uh, fucked up dude. I don't think the show was ever meant to make him a superhero. In fact, I think it's just showing no. if you try to be the superhero and you have DID, maybe not. So, yeah, I think Krista would, yeah, he totally puts her life in mm. danger when he confesses the shit to her. And and it doesn't, it, you know, even even like what Mr. Robot said in there, I mean, he's got to be more afraid of the string pullers. Like, Mr. Robot is finally feeling like, yeah. remember the last episode, it was like, we got played. Yes, absolutely. And there's more of that to come. Um, so, I'm, I have this question for you. So she wants to figure out, like he confesses to nine five nine, and then her next question is, "I want to know why Elliot's so upset with you." It's weird. It's like instead of going, "What?" You know, I've had these moments in scripts where, like, wouldn't the character say this next thing next? But I know, I guess we gotta get through the episode. We have time to to times a, you know, Colin, but she wants to figure out this relationship, but yet she on the second hand she wants to turn him in how is turning Elliot in going to help him I don't know where she is I think we'll figure out more of that later I think well, she's well, regretting she, taking him on as a client or having him assigned to her from his anger she, management maybe she has some some idea or some you know, uh, inkling that something else is going to happen possibly but I he's never know, said anything so she can't Right. By, by law, she can't. She can't do anything about do it. Anything but I think there's some it. forces at play here, and I got some predictions as we get to the bottom. Okay, so then we go see uh, Robot, not Elliot. We see Mr. Robot going to confront Irving at his um, garage, right? And he comes in all like, ah, that was not my plan. Who the hell made that call about stage two in the 71 facilities? And he gets hit upside the head with a wrench or whatever the dark army guys are using. It is the butt of the gun because I looked at it. It's the butt of the gun? Okay. And every time that they do that, I always wonder, how come it doesn't just crack someone's skull? I mean, in real life, it does. It does. But in in television, it never does. Or go off. (laughs) Um, Which has also happened. So then he comes to, and he's in Irving's car. He's in the back seat or whatever. He's in the front. I don't know where he was. It doesn't matter what, where he's sitting in the car. But he gets out, and Irving is taking him to a fancy party of the elites. They're having this rooftop party. And by the way, did you notice that? Um, and they're sitting. They're standing in the street, looking up at the party, right? And Irving is, you know, going on about stuff. But just before we get into that, Mister Robot isn't wearing his hat or his glasses. And I was like. 
why is he not wearing his, at least his glasses, right? Well, we know Mr. Robot is not a real person. He is Elliot's alter. And I think the call is that um, it was intentional that Mr. Robot is not wearing his glasses because he's being stripped away as a character. He's, he's losing some of his identity in, in Elliot's mind. There's some slippage here. I think, Are they melding choice. together? I think it could be, yes. Because that, that would be interesting to yeah. see that just as far as like a prediction. Well, as Elliot split in two, could he be coming back together? Right? And our big punchline of the whole series is that they think they're dealing with one or the other, but Elliot is both. So I think it was interesting. Um, also, by the way, in the pilot, Mr. Robot wasn't wearing glasses either. I so didn't notice that either. He didn't start out with glasses in the pilot. Anyway. But, I mean, going back, just that, just to, just to you know, dabble there a little bit. Sure. I mean, it would, it would take an Elliot and a Mr. Robot being... Joined. Joined together to be able to combat the shit that they're in. I think so, absolutely. That's in my prediction section of the episode. Oh. Hold on to it. Put a pin in that. We're getting there. So Irving goes on about your silly little plan, and he says this big, you know, this big obvious thing to Elliot. He's like, your revolution was allowed to happen because it was bought and paid for by them. And he points up to these dudes, you know. He's like, no matter how hard you try, that's always the end result. Some bitch up there playing a violin, and they're eating hors d'oeuvres and drinking like, you know million dollar champagne or whatever the fuck and that's the conspiracy man that's the conspiracy man and so irving's about to head into the party and robot's like what you're going in and you know irving's like well it's senator's mistress od you know got to get in there and make that thing scandal free and he turns around because literally nothing can stop these things that is some shit thousands dead a dead mistress and i'm like Holy shit, monkeys. Because that's what the show was saying in the opening episode of, of season three. In Elliot's little um, monologue, he said, we made all this crap happen. And now they're doing an NBC show about you know F Society and hackers. They're making this real thing. A show within a show referencing its own show. <sighs> so meta. Um, so yeah, Irving is just going... Irving, who, who's probably the biggest truth teller... Yeah. You know, in the show so far, is like, dude, doesn't matter what you fucking do. So, you know, just that just made me think because we were because all in always in the back of our mind, we have this parallel reality, alternate universe type of thing, mm-hmm. and it's like that that can also fit into in a, in a perspective a way you look at it is the same universe and reality you live in is that there's. These forces within that same reality causing the same struggle, causing the same shit, breaking the same eggs over and over again, and you're all living in the same thing, and you think it's something else, but it's this. And no matter what you try to do, no matter how many revolutions or marches you go to, it's the same shit. Yeah, and you know, you can – and there's a lot of days I feel that way. And then there's a lot of days where I go, well, if I start feeling like that and I don't do anything, if I don't try, and the outcome will always be the same. And I think that's yeah. what the show is actually talking about. I think you're literally hitting Ismail's overreach, his overarching theme is this very thing. If we feel like things are set in, in stone, would we try? If you were just told that, that don't even try, don't even just give up, this is how it is then you're you're destined to remain in that spot and i think the show is going to go we think we're you know we're in episode 7 we have three more episodes and we might have another season maybe two i think just one more and i think the show is saying you think you're stuck right here you're not yeah, maybe that's in your prediction section. Possibly. Let's put a pin it's in that coming. one, too. We've got to talk about a couple more characters. We're almost there. say about that. Um, I do want to say um, there's got to be some purpose for Elliot. He's walking around free on the street. Um, he's hanging out with Irving. No one's trying to kill him. You know, we do I, We do see in the, when they were doing the season three, like, overall promo, there is a shot of Leon sitting on Elliot's shitty couch. Uh, with one of his new newly acquired lamps from his e days. So we know that Elliot and um, 
Leon are going to have a reunion, meaning that Leon's going to be at Elliot's door. So what purpose does Elliot have to serve going forward? What plans do the Dark Army and White Rose have for him? I guess we'll just... Uh, oh, man, doesn't look good. Yeah, normally when Leon shows up, it's, you know, he was his protector before, but Elliot had a job to do. Stage two's been pulled off. Uh, the joke's been had on price. Yeah, I don't know. Don't about that. Don't know about that. Um, just protect Flipper at all costs, I'm just saying. Maybe she's still with the landlord. So Dom, or Dom character is having, oh, fuck, I feel so bad for Dom. I've never felt so bad for Dom than this episode. I think I felt pretty bad for her when she was trying to befriend Alexa um, and couldn't complete her masturbation because she found out it was a guy. Anyway, I haven't really felt that bad for her until this episode because she is our she is our super cop Santiago, you motherfucker. Uh, and she has figured it out because this is all she spent her time thinking about. Um, Since the moment we met her. Yeah. She has been calling Dark Army. Yeah. From the very the, fucking day. The China trip. Yep, China trip. Meets White Rose, clock room, figuring out, got a spotty sense, all that stuff. Go right in Zhang's face, says, I want to talk to the, you know, about the Dark Army thing, yeah. Um, and she, I think she's, you know, starting, she sees how Santiago has stonewalled her and the investigation all along. I mean, she's, I don't know that she sees that it's Santiago, per se, but she certainly notices something about his behavior. And Wellick's lawyer knows this, too. So they're in the room with Wellick's lawyer. And he's like, hey, by the way, you guys squandered your chance to prevent an attack. And F Society has put a video out uh, on the heels of the 71 facility attack saying, you know, something's coming within 24 hours. That thing was just a parlor trick. What we have uh, coming is going to astound and amaze you. So, you know, stand by for that. So Wellick's lawyer now is in this perfect place. Now, we don't know if he is Dark Army adjacent. I would feel like he would probably need to be a Dark Army dude because uh, they got everybody under their belt. You don't just bring in somebody from the outside and not tell them to play. But he's just sitting here saying, you know, this guy can finger two people, handle you your attacks. You don't have time to sit here and play, you know, I don't have any evidence. Because she's like going through the list of, you know, he got turned out of CTO, blah, 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 this murder charge, la, 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 la. And he goes, he was clear to that. And she's like, this and that and the other, pointing to all the directions. And you're mean to tell me he escapes just in time before stage two. And he goes, you what we going to do? Like accuse him of like coincidental, like resurfacing. And they realize that this has put them in this, this whole attack has got, is staged and the lawyer knows it's staged. So there's pressure on the FBI to have Wellick do what he has been instructed. And Santiago goes in on the plan as well, obviously, that he's going to turn over Mobley and Trenton. Yeah. They have Sasan yeah. Nori. Sasan Nori that they, you know, he's another DA plant, you know, Dark Army plant. He's probably called out their names as well. And Wellick's going to back that up and say, these are the people who held me uh, under the red wheelbarrow. And these are the people who planned the attacks from the very first moment. They grabbed me on the day of 5-9. They forced me to send an email to turn over the C-30, you know, uh, uh, spot uh, on our servers and created that to happen. So this is perfectly lined up. The frustrating thing is Dom doesn't buy it for a second. And she, you know, is in Santiago's office going, let's haul in Darlene and Angela and Elliot and let's just go hard at these guys and let's just make them, you know, spill because this is fucking Dark Army and it'll make them surface. And, of course, Santiago, who is Dark Army, is like, I got to take this to Comey and the president and we're running out of time and we're going to have to, we have a guy in there who's going to give this to us and I don't have time to play with conspiracy theories, and there's this really heated moment where, yeah, they're, just, where they're both like, oh my god, they're like yeah. inches apart from each other's face, and he's like, I don't know if you're overworked or you think you're a fucking super cop, but you answered me, and she's like, something is not adding up here, you know, kind of thing. And then he, I mean, the blocking in that was just Oy. so intense, because she's all up in there, and then once she says something doesn't make sense, he's like, whoosh. yeah. What do you mean about that? 
yeah, and he's like, what do you think you're saying? And she comes very close to like, I think she knows. I think she made him flinch. I think she made him flinch, and I also think she blinks and she has a moment of realization. I think Dom in this confrontation actually realizes that Santiago is Stark Army. Yeah, something not an adequate. And like... Because if she can figure out all these other nuances, surely, because she says to him, um, we're being played. How do you not see this? Yeah. And I think it's when he tells her all, you know, he gets in her face. I think she sees it in his eyes. I think she sees it in his face. Because she is a fucking super cop, Santiago. And I think she just made him. I wonder if she bugged his office. I don't know. I think it's just her spidey sense. I think she's just looking him in his fucking eyeballs because she can read people. She has got this superpower of reading motherfuckers, right? Mm Mm-hmm. And when she leaves this confrontation, you know, this is after the raid uh, on Trenton Mobley in Arizona, right? It's after that. She watches that go down. And she sees how this looks so... Neatly wrapped up in the little box with a bow. And she goes into her whiteboard and she pins up white rose with a question mark above Tyrell's head on that board after crossing out Trenton and Mowgli. And she says, you're actually going to get away with this. Now, this small act of putting this, um, this note on the board kind of struck me as very interesting. This is under Santiago's nose. She's putting that post up on that whiteboard. Is she gonna call? Is that gonna call him out in some way? Maybe, maybe she's. That's what she's doing. I she's. Think she's, I she's, think she's gonna a, force his fucking yeah. hand. I think so. We'll get to Santiago in a minute. Let's go to Angela for a second. Okay, girl. What is up with her? She's sitting in front of the TV. She's been this, you know. Stone Cold Steve Austin, manipulator of Elliot. Let's get stage two done. She was brought in as middle manager. She was handling her job. By the way, as she's watching all the TV footage, we see Janet on TV. Remember Janet? Elliot went to her and convinced her to do all the backups of the 71 locations locally. I don't think she's getting a promotion anytime soon, Janet. Yeah, Janet uh, probably having a bad day at work. And uh, Angela's following the death count. It's up to 4,000 by then. It may climb higher. And she asked Darlene if she thinks it's going to be okay. Now, this is not the Angela we have been seeing in Season 3. This is not the robot. This is not the girl who repeated the affirmations to herself, who shored her up in some way. This is someone who's slipping mentally and emotionally and like where Elliot would turn to his altar for solace and to deal with things. Um, Angela has no such cover, has no such place to go. And I think we're literally seeing her slip in front of us. Yeah. I mean, it's like, again, we, we don't know, and we're going to get into this later, but we don't know what white Rose told Angela in that room. We don't, but somehow she has altered the way Angela thinks. She's that, made Angela worship her. And now, and, and that's what she's doing. She's like, and, and that's the same thing that um, Irving was, was uh, reaffirming in her. Sure. That White Rose is going to make everything better. Well, they is, found Angela's bug. Yeah. And know? now we're seeing, you know, like when she's sitting there doing the rewind, see now everything's better. And it's like, it's like something short-circuited. Something completely does, because Angela believed, I mean, I think she believed that there's this, you know, machine out there that's being built that can bring her mom back. Uh, but I don't think she's waiting for that moment to believe in that. I think she's just hitting rewind and seeing the building get put back to bed, the collapsing building and going, see, they're okay. And Darlene's like, dude. It's like, it's like the worst type of, um, <clears throat> like even with Elliot, with, his, with what's going on with him mentally, it's still, you know, it's it still can somewhat, to, if I'm saying it right, could be understood. Well, he deals with it eventually. He like even when he is, I, I, I sh- when he thought he shot Tyrell, when he did shoot Tyrell, he's like, I killed him. You know, he's like, I did that. No, I. And when he's even in Krista's office, he's like, we or I. Elliot ends up 
kind of owning his own shit. Angela is sitting Angela's here. Angela's just like, oh wow, she's 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 tripping. She's I think I think we broke Angela. I think like seriously, yeah, I think she's like that broken. type of broken. Um, and so I guess the question is: Is will her dad, Philip Price? I'm 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 doubling down. Philip Price is her dad. Uh, is he going to be able to save her? Um, will he have anything to do with it? Am I horribly wrong about Philip Price being Angela Moss's pop? I totally think he is. Um, but Cordo Donna says that uh, the reason Angela is probably not going to get like popped in the head anytime soon is that Angela has some sort of like influence over Elliot. Now I don't know if that's still true after they had their like locking of horns um, outside of her office or in her office. Uh, when they kind of had their break-off moment where she's like, no, there's a way to turn this. Everybody's going to be fine. And he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, I don't think it, he hates her. I don't think they're mortal enemies. Um, but I think White Rose may, may still see a need for Elliot. Like, again, what is the plan? What does she have yeah, in store I'm for him? St- I'm still waiting for that to be Yeah, we don't know that. But, to be made known. But I think Angela is somewhat safe um, because she has some sort of influence over Elliot. I think... Um, I don't think she carries any weight now just because she's Philip Price's daughter. And it's really heartbreaking to see Angela like this. She so worships White Rose. Whatever White Rose told her in those 28 minutes, she worships her. Yeah. And Angela is just White Rose's puppet. She's just her do-rag. That's just sad. Let's slide over to Santiago for a second. Won't spend a whole lot of time with this motherfucker. That punk ass. This punk ass motherfucker. Although I love uh, Omar McWally as Santiago. He uh, told his mom to stay inside right before the stage two attack. Maybe she told one person, three people, five people at bingo or somebody. I don't know who she told. But is this going to lead to Santiago's downfall? We see his downfall coming, right? Oh, yeah. I mean... uh yeah. He's going to get snaked out. He's either going to go to prison or on his way to prison. He gets popped in the head by Dark Army. The shit Dark Army is not going to let him, like, you know. The shit he did caught. to, is doing to Dom, the shit he did to Tyrell. Oh, my God. Okay, first of all, we know that Tyrell killed a woman and is kind of a crazy person. We get it. But, um, yo, Santiago, like, just goes for him like he's got a thing for Terrell and is like if you tell anybody about my part in this I will make sure you don't live to see a day to plant a rose on your yeah. wife's grave your we'll wife's dead by the way just the way he does wife's grave. killed by some thug or some dude who was banging her and your son by the way is at, is at the uh, the peaceful acres foster care where there's only one in five of, a one in five abuse rate and Terrell just really can't. I mean, I felt bad for Terrell. Yeah, it's like when he broke in that in that interrogation room. Oh, we can't even. And they cut his scream out like they did with Joanna at the end, at the opening of. Yeah, when they threw the blood on her, and they muffled their screams. In space, no one can hear the Terrell's scream. There was the like, relic scream. There was like a moment like. Like we've seen, we've seen him cry before. We've seen him, it's, you know, your crying face. I've seen him cry so, a lot. It's like right before that, where he was just, he made this nude face where he's just like, no, yeah, no, and it was like, that was like a new emotion that I've seen that he that he he showed. I was like, that is very chilling. I do and not. And then he started it. crying. Then I was like, oh, you lost me. Is Terrell going <laughs> to cry for the rest of the season? No, no shade on Martin Wallstrom, though. I no, no. I love this character. I love Terrell. I'm I following love him, him on Instagram. Yeah, he's he's also he's a lovely dude, and he's he's really. I love Terrell. He's a really great character. Martin has created, along with this male in the writer's room, a wonderful character. So no shade. But I am like, he is kind of the Jesse Pinkman of uh, Mr. Robot, though. Um, he's just everybody's fucking Patsy. First, he was like Joanna's Patsy. And then he was like E-Corp's Patsy. And then he was Robot's Patsy. And now he's Dark Army's Patsy. Ah. Okay, so. Now he's Santiago's little bitch. <sighs> So um, I'm going to move this prediction down uh, here in our, our prediction section because I want to get there. Um, so now we're just the one last uh, character we're going to cover is White Rose. She's at Mar-a-Lago uh, with Price, and obviously the news has come down that these 71 buildings have been uh, blown up. And Price is like coming over to her again. I have decided I've been 
I think I've been uh, remiss in calling Zhang He when uh, the character is in male dress and um, versus her um, fe- feminine clothing. She is she, right? She's a transgender person. She's being forced or self-forced to live in the world as a man. So I will forever call White Rose a she, whether she is dressed as Zhang or as White Rose. Anyway, so she's a Mar-a-Lago with Price. And they have this huge confrontation. And it's really interesting. This scene was very small but very powerful. All this time we were thinking that Philip Price is just this huge power. Nothing can get in his way. He's the most powerful man in the room except for maybe a couple. Well, this would be one of those uh, rooms where he's not. Yeah, now we got that room. And we find out just how much power a White Rose holds. Like she's got all of the, she's got all the Legos right now. She is the string puller. She is the string puller. She's the ultimate the, string puller. I would say so. Yes. Um, and we learned that you know she's installed Price as uh, as CEO. Yeah, D Corp. Oh. And this is solely to protect her Washington Township plant. After she removed the previous one, mm-hmm. and then pissed on his grave. No. So and she, you know, she's totally like admits the blowing of the facilities, and she's like, look, this whole sympathy thing for the company. You know, it'll be good for you in your e-coin thing. We finally got around to signing that little thing anyway. And Price is like, you know, this is going to ruin me. And White Rose is like, yeah, well, no, you'll be fine. You're going to be fine. And Philip is just livid like, you sadistic fuck, you motherfucker. Why did you do this to me? Why did you come for me in this way? Why did you destroy e-corp in this way? And, um... It's a wonderful performance by B.D. Wong, by the way, because, you know, he had asked Price to handle Angela in this lawsuit that, that was out there. And he goes, why did you do this? And he's like, because it was an opportunity to teach a lesson. And that was the only reason. Because I had to ask you twice. Exactly. To it wasn't Angela. a grand, no. great old, it was just that one reason. And I don't even know if she would ever, ever even thought about playing off stage, too, if... Price had just done what she had asked the first time around yeah. and handled his daughter, Angela Moss. <laughs> um, Angela Price. Angela Price. What did uh, and so what did White Rose do to Angela? And I think you know the biggest piece of that fell into place for me is that she manipulated her into her father's downfall, into Philip Price's downfall. She told her a truth or a lie. Or a half-truth or a half-lie about getting her mother back and setting the world right, maybe. Maybe this machine is completely what we think it is, you know? It's an alternate time slippage thing. Telling her that Price is your father, he is the head of this corporation, Mm -hmm. he is responsible for your mother's death. Sure. Could have been that. I mean... Could have been that. Could have been... Is that enough to to, to make somebody... I didn't even think that she told – I think Price told Angela he was her father. I don't think that White Rose did that. I don't know. Maybe he did. Maybe she did. But I know that – I think it was specifically about being able to set the world right. Now, I never even thought about White Rose saying, Philip Price is your daddy. But I because I think that doing that would obviously could have sent Angela in a different direction. I think she manipulates her into thinking that she can set the world yeah, right. I, I don't, yeah, exactly. And I so don't therefore think setting about to destroy the company. I don't know. But Angela, she does have that hatred for that company. She does. Remember on the on the train when she's talking to Mr. Robot? Yeah. And maybe it's also that she's, you know, you're right, that she goes after the man who killed her father, which is her biological dad, and, and White Rose gave her all the keys to that kingdom and gave her all the information and knowledge in the world. I said, here you go. Now you know everything. Go do your part in this stage two attack and take this motherfucker down. And used Price's daughter against him. I don't know. And now we know who White Rose truly, truly is. Don't make her ask you twice. Because I had to ask you twice. And she gets up and walks away. Mm. Mm. She sashays away. Okay. So, predictions. Look at where all these people are. Here's where Christy is. Here's where Darlene is. Here's where Angela is. Here's where Elliot is. All these people who are on the outside of White Rose's world. Um, Terrell, even. Will all these forces somehow come together in some 
not perfectly constructed way, but in the haphazard kind of, you know how hackers are, they put you in the room and you have to figure a way out of it. Or they, they teach you like all these kind of different ways to unscrew a light bulb or turn on a light or turn off a light or, you know, whatever, all these kind of hacks that they put you through. The capture the flag um, um, attorneys where you have to solve a problem in so many seconds. This ultimately is what the show is about as well, is trying to work with what you have to manipulate the situation. So what will all these characters do to undo, mitigate, bring about vengeance or justice? You know, I see, is Angela completely useless to us? Well, Darlene, by the way, let's go back to some really big piece of information that Trenton gave us when she was in the backseat of the caddy while Leon was driving, uh, digging the hole. She said, I have an email that is set to auto go out in case I'm not back at my terminal at a certain time and then send it to someone I trust. Who do you think that is? I think it's Darlene. I do too. I think it's Darlene. Just, it's, just that conversation those, they dun, had dun, on, on yeah. the grass, I yeah. think it's Darlene. I think that, yes. Or I, her brother, but that would... Or her brother, or her father. Could be her father. I think, if it's not Darlene, I think it would be the brother, because she says, my brother is freaking out, and they probably have a, a closer relationship than her Wait, and her father. Wait, her father's Norman. He works at the FBI. Just kidding. Um, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that Everyone's be super cool? a targ. Everybody's a targ. Everyone's a price on this show. Um, so I think it's something like that's going to be a huge key um, in the undoing. Santiago's told his mom. Trenton sent this email. It's going to go to Darlene, who's going to get it to Dom, who's now going to have her key to unlocking White Rose. See, that's why I think Who's going to go to yeah. Tyrell, and Tyrell's going to be like, let me tell you. Mm, mm, uh, mm, mm, mm. And all these people that you think, again, going to that, that, that theorem that you were throwing out there, that, that position of this is set in stone. No matter what we do, they're going to party hard, and you can't undo this. We'll see. I think the show is going to say that just when you think that you're down, you're not, because we're heading into what the screenplay would have been the third act at this point. Uh, so I think the rest of these episodes that we're going to see of Mr. Robot in general are going to be the third act. And are going to be restoring power, or even if it's fucked up in the end, yeah. that White Rose and these people who are ultimately in power, it may, th- it may feel like this regime in America right now is winning. It may feel like they have control over a certain base and they have, and minds and they just throw fake news at whatever truth is being out there. It may feel like Putin is being a really solid president of the United States of America. But we have to believe the way Sam, Sam Esmail believes in this writer's, writer's room and the show in general that nothing is certain. Yeah, and, you know, and Hitler fucking fell, bitches. And it's like, I mean, you want to see you want to see, because you have all these broken individuals now and you, and somehow you want to see them all join together and overthrow the the system like but at really the same fucked up justice but at league. the same time you don't want it to be where everyone's cyborg where it's just the same turning of the pot breaking up a few eggs where these guys on top yeah are still in control of that. They're they're in control of the revolution. They're like sponsoring the revolution to stir things up and to let them settle back down again. Right. These distractions. And these. you you want to see the power to go actually back to the people, like what Mister Robot was saying. My whole point was to give power back to the people who were being fucked. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's where the show is trying to head. I but, hope but it gets no, I, there. But I don't want it to have like a, you know, the. Um, we all sail off in the sunset and everything's happy type of thing. Everybody's standing on the roof in their capes. Exactly. I'm glad we did that. And we do this crane sh- and it's, and it's, Just it's pulling back. And what yeah. was that thing from the 90s episode? An Alderson for one? I don't know. Um, yeah. I, I think all of these little loose ends that we're seeing, these, these things, don't guarantee that White Rose wins. That's what we're saying. That's what we're saying. A uh, little mis- miscellaneous things. You want to talk about those? Um, the snake and uh, Mobley's friend's tank. Is that a shout-out to Elia? Uh, uh, Elliot? Shout-out to Angela? 
Does the show realize that everybody's been calling Angela a snake all this time? Are they? Is that what they're in doing? In the interim, they're calling her. I a think snake? after season two, there was a lot of snake memes around Angela's character. Did the show just go? Here's a fucking real snake. She's Slytherin. There was an image in the tank. I don't know what that was. It was a rising sun kind of thing. I, I think that was the. Uh, that's the Arizona flag. Oh, there you go. So we're in Arizona, even though we shot this in New Mexico. Um, Leon's caddy. We talked about the keychain. Um, Oh, can we talk about the fact that Elliot's obviously got a thing for Krista? Or is it just him being a sexist guy? I think he's got a crush on, like, Elliot in real life, if he weren't so fucked up, he can, like, he can get the ladies. I think he's shown that he's got, you know, some, he's an attractive dude, you know? Maybe that's just, like, a... a a Mr. Robot personality because, but but he just we never, makes Mr. Robot yeah. like this swaggering. Yeah, I don't kind know. of like a misogynist douchebag. Exactly. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. I feel like we're heading into a place like we talked about where it feels like uh, the powers that be are going to win. But with three episodes left in season three, I think we can see a lot of uh, damage to be not undone. I don't feel like damage will ever be undone. And I don't know how this flux capacitor that White Rose is making will even really play into it. And I'm I'm hoping it's a very surprising and non-obvious way. Um, I really am banking on Ismail pulling that out. But I don't think we're going to undo so much as we're going to get a different result. The show is, like again with Mobley and Trenton, we, we felt like they're going to fucking die. But how they did it? But did you have to do it like that? I don't know. I'm like, I'm going to say it was a great send-off. It was brilliant. It It was was, a glorious death. It was awesome. If you're going to get killed on a show, get killed brilliantly and beautifully. And so people are mad at you. And people are so fucking pissed off about it. It it really is a testament to Sunita and Azar's, you know, appeal on the show. It's just like you guys were loved. I'm just like sad. I'm not going to see them on the show. Anymore. I know. You know. It's oh. Like, oh, you've confirmed it. I know. But this show has been so. This season has been. We haven't seen a whole lot of uh, everyone together in general, like we had in, in season one and, and part of season two. We've, you know, we hardly we're not even seeing a whole lot of uh, Rami in this season. We're seeing pieces of Christian. Everybody's kind of getting their um, their time in the sun. And I don't mind that. As long as those stories are interesting, it doesn't have to be, you know, the Rami Fest or the Christian all, Slayer Fest. They're or, all killing it. I they mean, all are. I think, I'm going to tell you, I think everybody's doing a hell of a job this season. I am loving uh, Carly, but I am also loving Portia. Yeah. Portia is, she's doing it this season. I love her. And Joey Badass has been on screen for two seconds, and my God, I fucking love you. Talk about throwing a statue at somebody. Come on, Joey Badass. Yeah. I mean, you, they, and then just the one guy, the played, guy who played Sasan Nori, who had the one fucking line, he just said, F society. I'm like, that dude was amazing. And he had the one fucking, he had literally two, is that two words? It's kind of just one word. Oh, my God. That guy was great. And, of course, obviously in this episode, uh, Sunita and uh, Azar. I love you guys. I hope you guys are... I see Sunita everywhere. She's doing a lot of cool shit. Getting work. Getting work. I want him to work, too. I love the both of them. I saw her in some music video the other day on Funny or Die, and I uh, turned down for what? Uh, It's... Yeah, I have to show it to you. You will laugh. She was great in Glow. I see her in a lot of things. Oh, that's right. She was in Glow. Yeah. And that's coming back for season two. So, yeah, I hope to see these guys again and again and again. But, yeah, it's so sad. And we lost – I think we, I still feel like we lost Joanna too soon. But she's slated to show up in some more episodes. So we'll see some flashbacks. Tyrell's going to be hallucinating in his cell as he plots uh, his revenge. I think there's revenge on his mind. Yeah, I mean – Don't rule him out. He's got state-of-the-art hacker skills. They have, they have broken people in a way that – it's like inside of that brokenness, you want to come out and you just want to kick the shit out of whoever broke you. Well, and they also should remember something very important about Terrell. He's a he is on the level level of Elliot Hacker. Exactly. So putting him in a fucking facility in handcuffs, are you insane? The guy could probably get out the handcuffs. The guy dislocated his fucking thumb. That's right. To get out of the last pair. I mean, I'm not saying he's gonna make a run for it out of that that room, but I don't think any facility is going to be able, able to hold a fully insane 
Terrell Wellick. I mean, you imagine getting a, a you know Mr. Elliot or Mr. Robot Elliot, Terrell, Angela, Darlene, Dom, Justice League together to go That's what after I said. White Rose. Yeah, and everyone's a cyborg. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe Dom's Wonder Woman. We let her be, you know. But nobody, else, everybody else is just either the one Wonder Woman, and everybody else is a cyborg. Uh, things to plug before we get out of here: uh, the new website that we have. We have a brand new website, uh, AshlandPodcast.com. Hey, it's nothing like completely uh, special. And who goes to websites anyway? But if you want to go and just um, see all the episodes at once, learn a tiny bit about us. Uh, we don't really talk about our names or what we, uh, who we are, because that's not important. That's not why we're here: is to talk about ourselves. We're not those kinds of people. Uh, and it's cool if you are that kind of person. I'm not trying to start any shit. Just saying, we have a brand new website, ashlandpodcast.com. Yeah, rolls off the tongue. Uh, we're on iTunes as Ashland. We're on Stitcher as Ashland. Uh, not to be confused in any case with the Ashland Baptist Church. Nope. Um, this is an explicit podcast, and we hope that no one has wandered onto our podcast and been offended. It's not our intent. Um, we are on Twitter as Ashland Podcast and on Facebook as Ashland Podcast. So, we're going to be back next week. New episode coming. I'm excited about that. And I think uh, we should try to tell ourselves that everything is going to be okay. No, it isn't, is it? No matter what you do, you can't stop those, what is it, shenanigans? Not shenanigans. Those shindigs. Those shindigs. Well, let's go find a shindig to go to then, because now I'm just depressed. Shit, let's party. <laughs> <laughs>